That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to this edition of The Great America Show. Thank you for being with us, as always. I'd love to be talking with you today about the brilliant sunrises, the beautiful clouds, uh, the soaring hawks above our farm, or maybe what we're all doing for Christmas. But the country is in too bad a shape to be having that discussion today. The country is, in fact, in a tightening grip of urgency and deep concern for our future as a nation. There is no way not to recognize the battle for the soul of this country that is now underway, a battle that many of us had hoped and prayed would be resolved by the midterm elections, at least in part. But that's not the outcome we got, is it? Beginning in January, we won't have one-party government any longer. We'll have a voice. And we will have at least, at least we'll have representation in the House of Representatives. And that's considerable progress under this Marxist dim regime, isn't it? Now in full view, the battle for our way of life, it's intensifying that battle. And there is no way you and I can avert our eyes, even if we wanted to. And you and I are in the fight, no matter what. Because the Marxist Dems and their allies, domestic and foreign, mean to end the American dream, to destroy our way of life, the American way, justice and truth. And nothing scares the totalitarian Marxist Dems more than truth. Look at what Elon Musk has revealed at Twitter. The Justice Department and FBI directing censorship of free speech on Twitter to serve the left to suppress Trump supporters and conservatives and anything that undercut Biden and the Marxist Dems. No foreign government had ever done such damage to the American public's constitutional rights, to our right to know, to our freedom of speech, and influenced a presidential election to boot, and in fact, changed history. And worse, they covered up their heinous assault on America and to this point, they've gotten away with it all. I repeat, to this point, they have gotten away with it all. And you and I, all of us, have got to make certain our elected officials stand up and make certain that they go to war against the Marxist left in this country. The Democrats aren't merely a political party anymore. They are a full-fledged criminal enterprise a fifth column with their own ideology within our nation. And they are hell-bent on destroying America, destroying even the idea of America, and they even told us they would do it. President Obama talked about the fundamental transformation of America. Do you remember? The fundamental transformation of America. And he meant what he said, and he has done something about what he said. And here we are, these years later, with some Republicans still thinking we can get along, go along with those who mean to tear down this country, 
Let me say this. If you hear a Republican talk about bipartisanship, you've just heard a Republican admit that he or she is a collaborator with the party that means to destroy truth. Our media, by the way, is already gone. With justice, do you really, really want the FBI knocking on your door? The FBI, the Department of Justice, are corrupt fascists. And our courts, not many, aren't in the hands of the Marxist Dems and the American way. We don't hear much about America these days, do we? They mean to take us down and America with us. Our impaired president was asked this week why, while in Arizona, he still wouldn't go to the southern border. President Biden said, because there are more important things going on. This from a president who obviously doesn't care about the hundreds of thousands of Americans who've been killed by fentanyl and opiates brought into the United States across that border. Because Biden keeps that border open to not only deadly drugs, but sex trafficking, human smuggling, and the millions of illegal immigrants who've entered the country in just the past two years. So folks, let me say this. This is not a time for Republicans, for independents to be compromising or to accommodate or appease the Marxist left. And the Republicans who want to just go along, the rhinos, the McConnell, McDaniel, Thune, Romney, and in the House, Kevin McCarthy, who wants to be Speaker of the House, of course, Paul Ryan's choice to be Speaker, hand-picked. You see why I use the term rhino. Thank God Congressman Andy Biggs has challenged Kevin McCarthy for the speakership. And thank God four other congressmen are standing with Biggs to assure the House begins representing the people and not K Street, the lobbyists, special interest in the Marxist Dems. Those other congressmen standing with Biggs, Matt Rosendale, Ralph Norman, Bob Good, Matt Gates, they're doing a great thing for this country and they're doing it under tremendous pressure and attack. Our guest today is Congressman Matt Gates, member of the House Judiciary Committee, the Armed Services Committee, and Congressman Gates, first, congratulations on what you and your colleagues are doing for this country. And my thanks, and I know everyone listening to our voices today, thank you as well. I know you mean to take the challenge to the Rhino leadership all the way, what do you see unfolding as your challenge progresses? Well, I think the American people know that Washington is broken, and we have a corrupt system that advances people through leadership based on their ability to launder special interest money from the PACs and the federal lobbyists into the coffers of members' campaigns. And I think we ought to raise our gaze and be better than that and do something other than maybe what Washington would expect of us. I think we need a fresh start. I think in a very slim majority, we're going to need a speaker with broad credibility across every aspect of the Republican conference. And we've got to find somebody who doesn't have five objectors. And at the end of the day, we're in a process of elimination exercise right now. I think there are you know, 221 members of Congress out of the 222 I'd be open-minded to at least listen to and see if there's a vision to bring us together and to win against the Democrats. Because what I recall out of Kevin McCarthy 
when he was Paul Ryan's majority leader, and we actually had subpoena power, and Jim Jordan and Ron DeSantis and Mark Meadows and I were asking for it to expose a lot of these deep state lies before they manifested into what we see today, Kevin McCarthy sat on his hands. He wasn't an advocate for strenuous oversight. He was right there to do the bidding of Paul Ryan. And I just don't think that he has passed the leadership test in the time that he's he served in these various roles. And I think if we had somebody new, we'd be far more effective. And I think there are a lot of people who agree with you. And what's really interesting to me is I as I've covered uh, these leadership battles over the years uh, and votes is that this is an outright threat against uh, the conference. Uh, Kevin McCarthy saying, you know, I mean, basically be Armageddon and the Democrats would take over. Uh, and a lot of nonsense is spewed here when point of fact, what you're not doing is proceeding to follow the leader, as has been the case for the Republicans. And it's how the Republicans got in this shape, in my opinion, Congressman, is they they are elected by moderates and conservatives and independents across the country and then come to Washington and then turn the whole thing over to rhinos. And by the way, the Democratic Party doesn't have a counterpart to rhinos. They don't have dinos. So why do you guys always find a rhino to take over a conservative uh, MAGA agenda, for example? Well, the rhino is actually in its natural habitat at a lobbyist fundraiser. They are the most adept and skilled and, uh, you know, I think capable in an environment where basically you trade your vote to special interest groups that often have America last principles on trade and immigration that, that they embrace. And so the rhino is actually quite skilled at being able to convert special interest money into campaign money. And it just so happens that's sort of the principal covenant of leadership to the members of the House of Representatives, but it doesn't have to be that way. We have work to do to investigate this administration on the border with the use of politics at the FBI with these horrible um, realizations that we're seeing through the Twitter files released by Elon Musk. We have so much work to do. And I just, you know, don't believe that we ought to begin that effort with somebody who, when the chips are down, seems to make poor judgment calls. I mean, you'll remember when I initially sought the ouster of Liz Cheney after she backed impeachment and wouldn't shut up about it, Kevin McCarthy stood before the conference and kept her in that position for months before ultimately acquiescing to her removal. Like, that wasn't a good judgment call. That's not someone who has passed the test of leadership. You know, he was recorded on a phone conversation saying that because I traveled to Wyoming, actually did your show from the steps of the Wyoming Capitol to make my political critique of Liz Cheney, he said that that might have been provoking violence in our politics. And, you know, I think we deserve leaders who understand that critique and debate are actually the things that stop a civilized society from devolving into violence. But the argument people make for Kevin is that he's raised more money than anyone in the history of time for Republican candidates. And so they think he just deserves it as a consequence. And I don't think the country is well served if that is the principal metric. And going to the metrics that I agree with you that do count, uh, what has been his leadership moment? What has been 
that decision he's taken, that uh, position that he has staked out uh, that required courage and principle uh, and true leadership uh, that for which he should be memorialized and also which would be the foundation of his seeking uh, the speakership. Well, he would point to the fact that he holds the record for the longest speech ever on the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, and to cite that in the absence of substantive wins for our people, I think tells you all you need to know about the bloviating and blather that often constrains Washington, D.C., rather than directing us to actually solve the problems that people are facing. You know, the, the hobgoblin argument that's been thrown out there is that, oh, well, if Republicans are divided on McCarthy, that somehow Hakeem Jeffries is going to become speaker. The reality is Hakeem Jeffries has 212 votes, and it takes 218 to become speaker, and there are not six Republicans. There's not one Republican that would vote for a Democrat, even the impeachers, even the most moderate among the group. But, you know, the, the, the true question is whether or not Republicans will get into the posture of realizing that this is a process of elimination exercise, or if we're going to begin our term in the majority, unable to elect a speaker. And I got to tell you, Lou, that could be a very real possibility. We could go to the floor. No person could be able to achieve 218 votes, and we might have to work that out for a while. And it might not be easy, and it might not be quick, but I'd rather make the right decision for the next two years than, you know, have a bunch of hand-wringing and bedwetting over whether or not it's going to take us two weeks or two months to figure it out. Well, I think I think you're making excellent points, and I and I think also there's a consideration here to which you've alluded. I mean, I happen to like Kevin McCarthy. I don't think there's a soul in Washington who doesn't like Kevin McCarthy. He's a very likable fellow. But at the end of the day, he's been disloyal. Uh, he has, in fact, uh, been disloyal to the leader of the party and the president of the United States when both uh, President Trump was both president and post-presidency. He's been groomed and endorsed uh, enthusiastically now by Paul Ryan to be speaker. And for me, I, that's all I need to know about the man, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that there will be a lot of people in the Washington elite circles of lobbying and special interest groups who will be very thrilled if he is selected to be the speaker. But you know, there are enough of us who want to change this place. And I think we need to focus on what some of those goals are. I don't think we should have a top-down speakership. I think the members should be able to actually vote on amendments and contribute to ideas. I think it's crazy that we have things like you know, national water policy linked to the National Defense Authorization Act. I think it's crazy that when Republicans were in power, we somehow had like war powers in Yemen linked to a vote about the farm bill. I think we need single subject. I think we need time to review the legislation. I believe that the motion to vacate the chair should exist as it did for more than 200 years, as envisioned by Thomas Jefferson and as ultimately utilized by Mark Meadows. I mean, these are things that uh, allow the Congress, I think, to be more dynamic and more effective and less dangerous to people. A lot of the times the really bad stuff that happens to people happens as a result of the tools the leadership uses to force people to take votes, where if you want to pay the troops, you have to green light wokeness. If you want to 
uh, ensure that America's resilient on manufacturing. You have to give on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm tired of those deals. I think the American people uh, don't want to see their elected leaders compromised. And when the leadership structure incentivizes that and forces it upon the membership, I think we're, we're far less effective at winning the battles we have to win to win the country. And I think uh, this gives me a chance to use the name Paul Ryan one more time. Who, who was it who ended that 200 years of vacating the chair? That's right. It was Paul Ryan who conditioned his acceptance of the speakership on altering the motion to vacate, where it required a certain percentage of people and it was no longer the power vested in each and every single member. And look, we wouldn't want any speaker to feel as though, you know, someone was hanging the sword of Damocles over them. But at the same time, there's something about having the consent of the governed, whether that's in society or within a legislative body. And so, uh, you know, right now with a majority of only four seats, uh, I think it was disappointing, not as a result of, of bad candidates, but really bad strategy on the leadership's side. You know, you had Ronald McDaniel, who seems, you know, poised to lead the Republican National Committee again. What a disappointment that has been. You know, no real effective building of people's skill stack to stop the craziness like we saw go on in Arizona this last election. You have Mitch McConnell roll to re-election in the Senate. You know, I don't know that there's like a whole contingent of like McConnell Republicans out there that are going to swing us back into, in, into broad power throughout the country. And then you have Kevin McCarthy, who has been campaigning for this job essentially for 18 years. And, you know, will he get the votes? Uh, I, I don't know. But I can tell you right now he doesn't have them and he doesn't have mine. And how many no votes do you think there are? Uh, Andy Biggs said he felt there were 20 hard no votes on McCarthy. Do you have a count? Well, Andy Biggs is, uh, is, a better, is a better vote counter than I am. So I wouldn't disagree with, uh, with Andy. I can tell you that, you know, uh, I try to be accountable for my own vote. And I think that, you know, certainly uh, for every person uh, who's made their attention known, you know, there are others who've ma made their attention known only to Kevin McCarthy. So Kevin McCarthy actually knows that the number is considerably larger than five of us. Uh, some folks have tried to uh, not in the public eye, but go meet with him privately to express that they just simply can't get there to voting for him and that it would probably be best if he allowed us to consider other candidates and released his votes. And uh, we'll see how, how he goes through that deliberative process. That, the, if we end up in some situation where we look, uh, you know, kind of ungovernable on January 3rd, that will be by Kevin McCarthy's hand. That will be because uh, his, his quest for power meant more than the math equation that we find ourselves in with the majority of our of our current size. Yeah, because this could have well been handled by, through negotiation with the Freedom Caucus, with the five of you uh, and others in the conference. Uh, what I also find interesting is when where the Dems have an opportunity here uh, to to really bring great great gravitas back to the house and to to actually reform the system which is broken frankly on both sides of the aisle they they really aren't talking substantively why would they not want to decentralize power to the committee why wouldn't they want to decentralize power to the individual representative 
why wouldn't they want hearings and amendments and a return to traditional process in the House of the People? Well, there actually are some who may, and we'll see if we can get consensus on the issues we can get consensus on, uh, not that give the Democrats you know, any additional advantage, but that simply give Americans the advantage of seeing what bills are being introduced. I mean, I have been actively talking with Democrats about about rules that were not waivable, that, requ that required legislation to be available for review with time to read it and cross-reference it and talk to our constituents about its impact on their lives. Because so much of the flaw of this place is the surprise element that the leadership really visits on the rest of us. And so, yes, is the answer to your question. We should be reaching out to anyone who would try to unlock the mystery of this place because it's the smoke and mirrors, it's all of the gamesmanship that ultimately works against average folks who just want strong borders, safe streets, a government that does not restrict their freedom or limit the choices they have in their lives, and you know, a U.S. economy that actually gets people optimistic again. I mean, Lou, how many conversations have you and I had about economic issues where we were talking about you know, new areas of productivity under the Trump administration, new companies choosing to reshore capital, uh, you know, additional investment going into the, the jobs of tomorrow. And now we seem to be a country in decline with a president in decline. And we don't have to live that way. President Trump showed us that we, could, we can will our way and we can use smart policy uh, to execute on great prosperity. But I don't think that's going to happen with Joe Biden as president. I think we're going to have to showcase to the American people how corrupt these folks are, how weaponized this government is against them. And we're going to have to wake up a lot of Americans to uh, the realities and the challenges that we face in this day and in this era. And it's not going to be the politics of the past that, that get us to electoral success again, but certainly the America First vision uh, is the way to create that coalition of winning. And I love the fact that people like Mitch McConnell, uh, Kevin McCarthy, think for some reason that they are major factors in national uh, American politics because they had the good fortune to have a president by the name of Donald J. Trump who disrupted the system and gave the party both direction and uh, light uh, and a philosophy that, that people rallied to and still do. Uh, it, it's it's remarkable. And at the same time, uh, we look at the Freedom Caucus. We, there's a possibility here that some of the most conservative members of the House truly are the ones who have the ability to shape a reformed House and, and move together in a bipartisan fashion with the Democrats rather than the rhinos uh, who would want to trade off uh, every uh, every element uh, of uh, MAGA and America first, uh, bury it and uh, do it the Democrat way, that is the Marxist dim way. Uh, so as we are wrapping up here, let me ask you this. With, with all of this in prospect, what do you think will be uh, the outcome, the most likely outcome here over the next uh, couple of weeks? Is there immense pressure within the conference to come to some sort of resolution, just closure? Uh, is, are those forces at work, and how strong are they? Well, I think Kevin has a sufficient number of people who, despite 
our critical mass of objectors, now, they are willing to go to the floor and cast their vote for Kevin McCarthy. Now, the question is whether or not they're, they're willing to delay their prize committee posts and their chairmanships and the ability to convene meetings under the House rules because we're unable to elect a speaker. And so we may end up in an extended standoff. And you know, I guess the news I'm sharing with you is that I'm ready for that. If it means that we have to take weeks or months to organize, I would rather get it right than just continue to follow the same script that has been written over managed American decline for decades in Washington, D.C. And I just won't be a part of it anymore. And that's why I think that uh, you know the likely outcome is a floor fight over the speakership, uh, a potential delay in the selection of the speaker, and then hopefully ultimately the embrace of a paradigm that has us draw to the conservative center of our conference that wants to expose the truth about the Biden administration uh, and that understands that we have to use every point of leverage in this majority to stop the country from being lost. Well, I want to I want to tell you, I salute you, Congressman Biggs, uh, uh, Congressman Good, Ralph Norman, Congressman uh, Rosendale, all of you. Uh, your your fortitude in this uh, is important to the country. And I think the American people are now awakening because of your actions and what you are bringing to the forefront of the public consciousness. I think they're aware of the, the service uh, that you're providing to the nation uh, because we cannot continue to have the, this is after all a government that requires the consent of the governed. Uh, and if the House of Representatives can't represent, uh, it's not much of a house, is it? Uh, well, we are the people's house. And I think uh, it would be best if we did our work in, in great service to them. And we can do that and we should. Well, it's great of you to be here, and thanks again for all you're doing. Congressman Matt Gates, one of the best in Congress, if I may say, a great American. Among our guests coming up, more great Americans, including the Attorney General of the great state of Texas, Attorney General Ken Paxton. Joining us also, the co-chair of the Freedom Caucus, doing great work for the country, Congressman Scott Perry, and Senator Tommy Tuberville, member of the Armed Services Committee, as I said, a great American. And thanks again to Congressman Matt Gates today. Please join us here tomorrow. And until then, God bless you. And may God bless America.